Yes, and good morning. We are just so glad that you are here, whether you're a first-time visitor, couple-time visitor, or, well, you're just here all the time. I want you to know it's good to have you here today. I was standing over against the wall. It's sometimes nice to get a different perspective from the front row. And I was standing over there watching y'all sing and worship, and it's just really good. I want you to know I am thankful for the family of the Dorisville Baptist Church. Amen. We are so blessed with, with the folks that God sent us, and, our, and, it, and they are. And he continues to send us. Thankful for our worship team. That last song uh, that Lainey had to lead on, you know, when, God, you've been so, so faithful, and God, you've been so, so good to me. And he really has. He really has. He's just a good God, and he's just a faithful God. Well, so as far as I know, this is the last message, finally, really, honestly, in the, in the Biblical Mindset Training Series. We've got to start a new series um, next week. But I want to share with you today about something I entitled Chasing the Crown. And you remember in last week in Paul's final chapter, we got like half of it, and then we never got the second half. Well, they were going to the second half um, of that. You know, one of the things that I've been amazed at recently is the monarchy in England. Um, I, I really, because we went there, but even before that, we had watched a couple of TV series, learning about it, because I was always amazed at it, you know. I, I was always just a little bit jealous of Prince Charles. Um, he's, got a kind of, he's got ears like mine, um, but that wasn't why I was jealous, um, because I said all he did, all he did was to be born in a family, you know, and he is to be the prince, and all the people think, wow, woo, and now he's the king of England, and all he did, but here's what I found out, is that, you know, people don't chase the crown in the monarchy, they run from the crown. The crown in England is a huge responsibility. Now, back in the old days, you know, old, old days, you know, they would kill you to get to wear the crown, but recently in modern history, last 100 years or 120 years even, people ran from the crown because of the weight of the responsibility. Um, we... We were watching this show, and, and it's, it's a kind of a famous thing. You know, when Margaret, and that's the younger sister. Elizabeth was the older sister, and Margaret was the younger. And Elizabeth was in line to be queen. And so Margaret, and they were like 13 and 10, something like that. And Margaret, you know, says to Elizabeth and says, So this means that one day that you will be queen? And she said, Yes, it'll be a while, but one day I will be queen. And Margaret said, Poor you. Poor you. And when, and when her daddy, Elizabeth's daddy, you know, he was the second son, not in line to be king. The older brother, his older brother decided to abdicate because he wanted to marry uh, a twice-divorced woman. That wasn't allowed in the Church of England. So he gave up being king, and then the, the, younger, the second son became king, uh, became King George, Elizabeth's daddy. And uh, he was so angry at his brother. Because you didn't fulfill your responsibility, and now I have to take your responsibility. They wanted to run from the crown. But I want to tell you today about a man named Paul who did not run from the crown, but rather embraced the crown. He chased the crown. I want to tell you about a man named Paul that, that chased the crown, even though it ultimately would cost him his life. He did not run from the crown. Rather, he ran to the crown. And the crazy part is, he challenges each one of us to do the exact same. We start our sermon this morning in 1 Corinthians 9.25. And, and Paul kind of throws out an athletic um, 
uh, metaphor, but at the same time, it really fits. You know, he said, now everyone who competes, now keep in mind, this is back when the Corinthian games were huge, um, kind of like our modern-day Olympics. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control and everything. Every athlete, you know, sold out to the cause uh, of the competition to compete, okay? And, and they had to exercise self-control. File that one away. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. And that is so big. What, what they would get is they wouldn't get a, a you know, crown of gold or, or stones. They would simply get a, a wreath, if you will, that they placed on their head. and had leaves and different things, flowers often uh, on that. And the judge of the games would, would have the person kneel before him, and he would put this, this wreath on his head. Okay, And you say, well, what a crummy prize. Well, no, not necessarily, because one who pres- ooh, this is good. The one who presented it mattered, but also what it represented. And what it represented was sacrifice. It represented someone who was faithful to whatever sport they were competing in, okay, and represent victory and victory. So it meant nothing to us, money-wise, it meant nothing to us, but it meant everything to them. But Paul goes one step further and says, well, they do it for a perishable crown because in a few days the leaves were going to be dead. Okay? You know, they receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. We have, we have a crown that we're working on that is eternal. Now, here's the crazy part. The word for, for a kingly crown is where we get our word diadem from, the Greek word. Okay, And it represents a crown of the golden stones and all that. That's not this word. This imperishable crown is like the leaves. It's like, it's like something that's not valuable in the sense of money and dollars, but it's incredibly valuable by who presents it. And this imperishable crown is who presents it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, And the fact that signifies faithfulness. And victory. So let's look at this teaching point, okay? So, so this is the word, this is the Greek word, Stephanos. Stephanos. And by the way, if your name's Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, okay, that's where your name comes from. And Stephen uh, was one of the, Stephan, I guess you could say, was one of the, was one of the, actually was the very first martyr listed in the Bible. He gave his life up for the cause of Christ. So this Stephanos then, okay, is a victor's crown. And here's what it, here's what it represents. It represents someone who is faithful and someone who lived a righteous life. So, so imagine again, You've got this judge, and we'll talk about this in just a few moments. We have this righteous judge, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he puts this crown on a believer's head, okay? And in doing so, the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, I, oh, this is good, I count you, I count you, I reckon you worthy because you were faithful and lived a righteous life. It, it's, it, it could be called the, the good and faithful servant crown. You remember when Jesus says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of your Lord. That's what it is. And that's what it's all about. You see, more precious than the jewel crown that rested on Queen Elizabeth's casket, its attainment should be our one pursuit. You know, we, we should not pursue the crowns of the world. 
We should pursue the one crown that matters, and that is the crown of righteousness, the Stephanos crown for faithful service and victory in this life. I don't know if you watched the, the queen's funeral or not, but sitting on top of her casket was this. And this is the imperial state crown. She wore it briefly um, when she was uh, her coronation in 1957, I believe it was. And amazingly, this is still, I even asked you, you know, was it real? Um, we, we had the opportunity for just a few minutes um, to run through this building, all the security, and we actually got to see this. Not only did we get to see this, I was like three foot away from it. It was sitting on a pedestal. Um, all the crown jewels were throughout the building, but this was the grand finale, and it was on a pedestal, and of course had glass and all these little arms and all that, but I could reach out and touch the glass that held this crown, okay? Now, now here's what I want you to know about this. I'm trying to impress you with the value of this. Listen to this. This crown right here, okay, this crown has 2,868 diamonds, it has 17 sapphires. It has 11 emeralds, 269 pearls, and 4 rubies. If you look right there in the front, that giant ruby right there, don't ask me why, but it's called the Black Prince Ruby. Do, do the research, okay? And right there in the very front on that band, yes, that is one diamond. And it's amazing, 105 carats, one of the largest diamonds in the world. This crown, are you ready to be impressed? This crown that I was three feet from, that you're seeing a picture of this morning, that rested on top of the casket of Queen Elizabeth, this crown is worth anywhere from 3.4 to 5.7 billion dollars. Not millions Billions. That's an amazing value. And the reason there's such a spread, Dwayne Wise is such a spread, it's priceless. How do you put a price on something like that? But they said if we had to put a price on it, 3.4 to $5.7 billion. Now, my point is this that is valuable in this world. But it pales, it pales when we think about the victor's crown, the Stephanos crown in heaven. And the reason why is, did you notice, by the way, what I said? This was on top of her casket. You don't know why it was on top of the casket? She couldn't take it with her. It stayed. All the crown jewels that she had, they all stayed. Have you ever seen a, a U-Haul at a funeral? Have you ever seen a, a U-Haul trailer attached to the hearse at a funeral? No, because we leave all that stuff here. But because of what Jesus Christ did on a Roman cross, and because of the resurrection, and because of his invitation that whosoever will may come, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved, because of that we have eternal life. And with that eternal life, we get to take these, these years that we have, however many it is, and we get the opportunity to serve God. And one day, if we're faithful, have Him place a crown on our heads for being faithful and victorious. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And you know, by the way, just so you'll know, there is little debate 
about Queen Elizabeth's faith. I don't know about her son, but this woman claimed Jesus Christ as Savior. And she lived it. She wasn't perfect. But we're not either. But she lived it. She proclaimed Jesus Christ in her own words as her Savior and her anchor. She would tell you today if she could speak, this is not what matters. What matters is the Stephanos crown. What matters is one day Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servant. A guy named, a guy named um, Jonathan Edwards, you may know that name. He was one of the Puritan preachers from a zillion years ago. He said this. He says, a faithful Christian. Now, not every Christian is faithful, and you'll have to agree with that. But a faithful Christian does not make holy living an accidental thing. A, a person who is committed to their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, what they do is not accidental. You know, sometimes, you know, I stumble. I'll go to a restaurant I really like, and I'll say, Whoo, gee, we done accidentally stepped into something. We stepped into something. A Christian, a faithful Christian, doesn't accidentally step into it. It's a concerted effort of their faith. It's a priority thing in their lives. You know, I know the football Bulldogs won again on Friday night. Well, you guys, five and one? You lost. I heard you won. Okay, we won't talk about it, okay? We still love you regardless. I want you to know that. Dang. Now, gee, I'm just deflated. All right, hey, never but, but here's where I was going. I was just like being kind to mention the football team. Because we got this crazy group of young men um, who have won, and I think, am I right, 26 games? They have won 26 games. They are 26 and zero. 26 and zero. What? What is that? How crazy is that? They're, they're in now in the semifinals, and hopefully the, the state one will be on Tuesday and Thursday. You know, it's just an incredible, incredible thing. This just doesn't happen. 26 games row. They, they beat the quarterfinal team yesterday 16-4. Uh, to 4. How crazy is that? And you know, if I could bring the coach up, if I could bring John up and talk to him, or, or maybe one of the kids, I could bring the, one of the kids up, one of the young men, up on the stage, and I'd say, well, tell me exactly... How did that happen? How, how, did you, how do you go 26-0 and 0 in a season? And they say, well, you know, it's just an accident. It's just an accident. Would you think they would say that? No way. You don't win 26 games in a row by accident. They would tell you, oh, no, 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 this was not an accident. We have played together. A lot of us have played together for years. We've committed hours and hours and hours and hours uh, toward practice. We applied every skill that we can, you know. We made sure that we were committed to the cause of the team. In fact, I love what they put on the back of their shirt. It's the words in big, bold letters, we with a line over me. And what they're stating loudly is, we, an individual does not matter, we matters, the team matters. All that comes together. And it's not an accident. It's intentional. And guess what? Jonathan Edwards is saying, you know, our Christian life is not an accidental thing. It's a concerted thing. And by the way, just for the fun of it, for a church to really be a powerful force for the kingdom, you got to put we over me. 
You can't put me first. It's all about me, 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 me. You've got to put we first, the team first, the church first over that. Well, it goes on and says, you know, it's, it's his great concern. It's his great passion. You know, these young men's great passion is this team. And, and our great passion, our great concern is to be the cause of the kingdom of God. As, as the business of a soldier is to fight, so the business of the Christian is to be like Christ. That's it. And we've got to understand, you know, I'm sure at, when y'all had, when, about game number two or three, and you won three, you know, all of a sudden the vision starts coming. And they're saying, you know what? We, this could be the greatest season ever. We've got to understand, we've got to understand that there's a prize coming for us that's greater than anything we can imagine on this earth. So, so that leads us then in, into Paul. Now, Paul, as you remember last week, you know, here's what he said in verse number six. He said, As for me, as for me, he said, he said, My my life is already being poured out as an offering. And we talked a lot about that last week. Okay? And then he said this: And the time of my death is near. So what a, what a profound statement. You know, as for me, you know, my life is already being poured out as a sacrifice to God, okay? And, and, and the time of my death is near. And what follows that? And what follows that is three things that Paul says that are incredibly, incredibly powerful. The first thing he says is, I have fought the good fight. I have fought the good fight. Circle in your notes this morning. Highlight it there in the, in the worship event, if you could do that. The word, the. Because he didn't say, I have fought a fight. There's a lot of people fighting fights. There's a, and you know what? Most of them don't matter. We'll, we'll give up our energy. We'll give up our time. We'll give up our resources to fight fights that don't matter. He didn't say, I fought a fight. In fact, he didn't even say, I fought my fight. Because see, Paul understood that, that the battle, the, the fight, was not his. What's the scripture say? The battle is not mine. It belongs to the Lord. The Lord. So he didn't say my fight. He said, I fought the good fight. And, and the fight that's worth fighting in this world is the fight of eternal values. The fight of the kingdom, if you will. Our teaching point says it this way. The good fight, the good fight, is one directed toward the right enemy. Paul would tell you, Paul could tell you if he could speak today, he said, it was a good fight because I didn't waste my time on things that didn't matter. He said, in fact, there were some guys that were preaching, you know, kind of against him. He said, doesn't matter. What matters is the gospel's being preached. It doesn't matter if they're personally attacking me. It doesn't matter. What matters is the gospel's being preached. You know, Paul realized that, now listen carefully, Paul realized there is one enemy, and the enemy is Satan. It is not the one you're married to. It is not, not the one you gave birth to. It's not your parents when they seem so adamantly about making your life miserable. It's not your boss. It's not the staff at work. It's none of that. You have one enemy, one true enemy, and Paul knew it. The good fight fights against the right enemy. It, it fights for the right cause. Oh, good, there's a lot of causes in this world. But Paul said there's only one that matters. And that is the kingdom of the capital T. You know, okay, you, you know what's really bad in churches? You know one of the greatest dangers in churches? Kingdoms. Not kingdom, 
kingdoms. In so many churches, people become little kings. And they say, I'm going to build my kingdom. And my kingdom might be this. And my kingdom might be my Sunday school class. My kingdom might be you know, a musical group. My kingdom might be you know, how hot or cold and how, you know, how, how loud the sound is. You know, kingdoms, me, 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 me. Great danger. See, there's only one kingdom that matters. And it's a capital K kingdom. Somebody say amen. That's a capital K kingdom, and it's the kingdom of God. So the right enemy for the right cause with the right weapons. And we don't have time today. Tried it in first service and, and ran out of time. But again, if you look back in Ephesians chapter 6, he talks about the armor of God. And the two key elements was the sword, which was the word of God. The older I get, the more valuable I understand the word of God is. Not just reading it ingesting it and applying it into my life and the shield of faith. Remember, we learned it in this series. God operates in the realm and the sphere of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We do not walk by sight. We walk by faith. And Paul says, make sure, excuse me, the, the teach point says, we got to make sure we fight with the right weapons, which are our faith and the word of God. So he says, I have fought a good fight. Christine Kane said this. It's a great quote. She goes, when there is, and notice she said when, it's not if. Perhaps today you already had this fight. Maybe you had it yesterday. You're going to have it maybe tomorrow. You know, when there is a fight between your heart and your head, intellect, logic says this, your heart says a totally different thing. And you've got this battle going on. Do I listen to my heart? Do I listen to logic? Do I listen to my heart? Do I listen to intellect? What do I listen to? She said, when you have this fight between your heart and your head, the best thing you can do is pick up your Bible. Pick up your Bible and remind yourself of what God says. There's only one opinion that matters, folks. It's God's. There's only one that matters, folks, and it's God. It's God. She's right. She's right. So Paul comes along after he says, I fought a good fight. He said, now I have finished the race. Now notice again, it's that definitive the. It's not a race because we often want to run, you know, just a general race. Um, and we really like it to steal other people's races. You know, um, you know I want your race, Dwayne. Your life seems pretty good. I want your race. Or, or perhaps over here, you know, I, I think I like Joe's race. You know, I want Joe's race, you know. He said, no, I have finished the race. What is the race? Well, God's word gives us a couple of really good scriptures. The first is Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1, and kind of in the middle. You know, the author of Hebrews said, and let us run with endurance. Write this down. Your life is not a sprint. I have seen so many Christians, they get saved, they get excited, they stick around six months, and then they're gone. What happens? They don't run with endurance. They don't understand that the day you're saved begins a race, and the race isn't over until you die. The race is not over until you die. So it's important you pace yourself. You run with endurance. You seek the power of God. You seek the power of the Holy Spirit, and you run this race with endurance. But notice what kind of race it is. Run with endurance the race God has set before us. Good counsel, wise counsel. Wisdom, don't run somebody else's race. And don't be jealous of someone else's race. I want their race. 
Their kids never get sick and never need braces. I want their race. They've got lots of money. I want their life race. They've got lots of toys. I want their race. Their marriage is great. You run the race that God has set before you. And then you run it with endurance. It's a good, good verse. A good verse. And then 2 Corinthians, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 9.24. Don't you know, Paul says, don't you know? And they did know because they lived in Corinth. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race? There's nine guys lined up on the track, and they're going to run the 100-meter race. Um, there's nine guys on the track, and they're going to run a 440. Okay, Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race? But only one receives the prize. There can only be one first place. Paul says, run in such a way to win the prize. In other words, as you live your life, as you chase the crown, run your race, live your life as if only one person can win. And you are determined to be that one person. Now, this is where Nancy's not going to throw the slide up because uh, I want to save it because it's my favorite quote in the whole sermon. The, the point says this. And you'll see it in just a moment. Start, run, and finish the race. Now you need to write those three things down. It's important we start the race. It's important we run the race. And it's very important that you finish the race. Remember, you don't fail until you quit. You don't fail until you quit. So we're going to start the race, we're going to run the race, and we're going to finish the race. Okay, now the key thing is, if you look at that, that quote, oh, don't put it up yet, Nancy, I almost said put it up, no, she's got her hands in the air, okay, here's what it's going to say, start, run, and finish the race, that matters. See, the race is not, I'm telling you, listen to your pastor. Listen to your pastor. You're, you're going to beat your life up trying to amass toys, uh, trying to amass prestige, trying to amass titles, trying to amass wealth. Run the race that matters. And here's why. Okay, Nancy, throw it up there. My favorite quote in the whole sermon. Lily Tomlin said, The trouble with the rat race is that even if you win, you're still a rat. Isn't that great? And you need to write that down. You're going to, hey, you can, you can really blow somebody's brain this week and say, well, you know, I heard at church <laughs> that, you know, if you, if you win at the rat race, you're still a rat. And what she's saying, she's saying, really, you know what, you can run that race, but in the end, you're still a rat. Did you know this? We can, and students listen to this, you can run and win the race. But if you're running the wrong race, you still lose. You can run the race, but if you're running the wrong race, you still lose. So make sure that you run the right race. Make sure you're committed to running the right race. And then we got, finally, Paul says in the third part of verse number 7, he, he's falsified, he's, he's run the race. Now he's going to say, I have remained faithful. I have remained faithful. I have guarded and protected. I have remained faithful. Now remember, if you remember, the Stephanos crown is the crown of faithfulness. So this is really important. Really important. You know, Vance Havner, there's not a person in this room who will honestly agree with this. I, I told him in first service, I'm not sure I can honestly agree with it. I mean, I agree with it, 
but I'm not sure I could live it out. Here's what he says. Christians do not have to live. In other words, Christians might die. We don't get this because we're in America. Probably this week, no one's going to shoot you for your faith. Probably, hey, students, most likely, even though you know, high school can be difficult sometimes, the culture can be difficult sometimes, people might make fun of you at school for being a Christian, probably you're not going to be killed for your faith. But all around this world, thousands, every day, thousands are persecuted for their faith. Homes are burnt. Families are beat up. Jobs are lost. In the Muslim world, if you profess Christ, your family will disown you. You no longer have a family. And in this world every day, hundreds die for no other reason but their faith. And Habner comes along and says, you don't have to live. In fact, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, you know this one. If any man will come after me, let him you know, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And then he says this. For whosoever would save his life will lose it. And the one who will lose his life for my sake will save it. Will save it. Wow. How, how, how anti-Western is that? How what is that? You don't have to live. They just have to be faithful to Jesus Christ. Faithfulness. Is so largely important. You know, not only until death, in other words, a time period, not, not only from the point that from, from we live and you die, you know, to be faithful with that, but, but unto death. And that's the part we're going to wrestle with. Unto death if necessary. You, we, it's so weak, I even hate to say it. It's just weak. You know, I say, would you take a bullet for Jesus? You don't know if you would or would not. I mean, if, if someone's holding a gun to your kid's head and says, either denounce Christ or I'll, I'll take your child's life, you don't know what you're going to do. That's what I said. This is a hard one. This is very difficult. But the bottom line is, we don't have to live, but we should remain faithful. We should remain faithful. And I don't want to rock your world, but in case you haven't figured it out, um, it's going to be more and more unpopular to be a Christian. Kids, students, it's getting harder. The culture, man, is so hard at school now, it's going to get worse. More and more people will mock you and mock you for being a follower of Jesus Christ. I just want to tell you this. The cause of Christ, your faith in Jesus, is not only worth something worth living for, ultimately it should be something that we should die for. David Jeremiah said this, God is faithful, and that trumps all our problems, tears, tragedies, and the very prospect of death itself. God is faithful. Well, all that boils down, shakes down to what Paul now says. I've, you know, I've, I've, I've fought I've run, I've been faithful, and here's what he says. And now, verse number 8a, and now the prize awaits me. And what awaits him? The crown of righteousness, the Stephanos crown, 
the victory crown, the crown that said you were faithful. It's the, it's the well done, good and faithful servant crown. It's a crown, imagine that you're standing before Jesus Christ and the one who, who died for you and the one who resurrected for you and the one who promised to never leave you nor forsake you stands before you as you kneel before him and he puts this crown on your head. He said, I, the prize awaits me. It's the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge. Isn't it funny? You know, it's the crown of faithfulness, and the faithful judge awards it to the faithful servants. And he will give it to me on the day of his return. Have you ever thought why it says the day of his return? This is what I couldn't give the first votes because we just ran out of time. In 2 Timothy 4a, the second part of, of the first part, it says, and the prize is not just for me. It's just not me. You know, Paul said, I don't have a corner on this market. He said, and the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. So, so Paul knows he's about to die. Okay, So he says, I'm going to receive this crowd, you know, a crown when, when he comes back. And, and, and it's just not for me. It's for everyone who eagerly looks forward to his appearing. What is that about? Well, it's so cool because the answer, now I don't have time to really develop this, but the answer is in the book of Revelation. What, what do you mean, Dwayne? Well, it's really cool. If you look at the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, it's all with John seeing things on the earth. And then in chapter 4, verse number 1, the, the location changes, and all of a sudden he is in heaven. Okay? It's like from that point of, of the end of chapter 3, the church is never mentioned again in the book of Revelation. At least not on earth. And then we have this great scripture in Revelation 4.10, and I'm going to pick up in the second part of verse number 10. And the Bible says there, and they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. So, so Paul says it's for everyone who looks forward to his coming. Jesus is coming back. Amen. Well, that's a good one. Let's try for two. Jesus is coming back. Amen. And the church is going to be raptured or taken away or snatched up and taken to heaven. And then most theologians believe that when we get there, and as chaos breaks loose on the earth, there's a reward in heaven. There's a bema seat, a seat of reward. And this is where the crowns are given. And this is where it says in verse 10, and they lay their crowns. What crowns? The crowns that Jesus awarded. And what do we do with those crowns? We put them at the throne or the feet of Jesus. And who are these 24 elders? Guess what? Everything I read, it's the church. It's the church. The raptured church. The church that is snatched away at the end of chapter 3 and brought into heaven. There's been a bema seat and Jesus has awarded crowns. Well done, good and faithful servant. And then those, those 24 elders, the, the raptured church has the opportunity to lay those crowns at the feet of Jesus. Amen. Isn't that powerful? Wow. Wow, I, I just, when I saw that, and so my teaching point says it. It says, you know, what a privilege to lay our crown at the feet of Jesus. However, guard it. Guard it. Lest it be stolen 
by the crown thieves. You know, when I saw that 3.4 to 5.7 billion dollar crown, you better believe I couldn't go. I even told Jess, did you, do you think that was real? Do you think it was fake? She said, no, I don't think it was fake. So I believe they had all the, all the security precautions in place. You couldn't get to it. Jesus said, however, guard it lest it be stolen by the crown thieves. You know, disobedience, distraction, and disloyalty. The teaching points of that, Jesus said. Be careful of thieves. Be careful that sin doesn't steal your crown. Be careful that distractions don't steal your crown. Be sure that disloyalty doesn't steal your crown. Wouldn't it be terrible to get to heaven and find out that there was no crown? And you went to that ceremony there where they're casting their crowns at the feet of Jesus. And your hands are empty. Uh Uh-oh, I'm fixing to say something good. And your hands are empty because your hands were full on earth. Your hands are empty because your hands were full on earth. In chapter 3, before the church is raptured, Jesus is speaking to the seven churches. And he speaks to the church of Philadelphia. And and verse number 3, or chapter 3 and verse number 11, look at this. Jesus says, I am coming soon. He's coming, folks. You know, there used to be a cute little song that said, signs of the times are everywhere. Look at me. Signs of the times are everywhere. We're seeing seeing in time specific signs. We saw a lot of that in COVID. I'm not a COVID freak. We saw a lot of strange things in COVID. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. Hey, Jesus students, those of you who know Jesus, hold on to your crown. Don't, don't, let, don't, you, don't let the world steal it away from you. Don't let culture, don't let peer pressure steal your crown away. Hey, median adults, don't let the pursuit of all this stuff in the world Steal your crown. Senior adults, don't get so, so unfocused on the, on the last chapters of your life and what you think retirement ought to be like or what life ought to be like and let it steal your crown. Let no one take your crown. <coughs> Jesus is coming soon. So, Dwayne, what's the big picture? What's the big takeaway? The big picture and the big takeaway is this. We have got to stay focused on what matters. You know, again, the boys, the team, they're where they are because they focused. We need to focus on the kingdom of God, too. We've got to put we over me. We've got to put Jesus, others, and self. We've got to live like there's no tomorrow because... There may not be a tomorrow. Would you bow your heads, please? Thanks for your patience today. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, if there's never been a time in your life when when you told God, God, I'm sorry for my sin, and I believe Jesus died for me, and I want him to come in and be the new boss of my life. I turn from my sin, and I choose to follow him. Maybe today, Brother Brent's going to be down front, and man, we would love to share with you about that. Trust me, we are not pitching religion today. We are not pitching church today. We are telling you about Jesus, the one who loves you so much, he died for you.
And brothers and sisters, in these days of distractions and busyness and all of that, make sure nothing steals your crown. The altar is open for prayer today. If you'd like to come and pray, uh, perhaps you've got some concerns in your life about children or family. Maybe you're concerned about some ones you knew in Florida and the situation they're going through. The altar is open for us to pray today. And God, thank you so much for the privilege of sharing um, this truth. I pray, Father, and thank you. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our hearts. Lord, may we be found faithful. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.